1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Hi, I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com. And I recently opened a book Tanya Frank is the author of Zig Zag Boy, a memoir of madness and motherhood. And by the way, I think this is the first episode where I've cried myself in a very long time. Uh, Tanya's bio, she wrote herself and says, "'From the time I was old enough to decipher words, my Yiddisher mama told me stories, showing me what it meant to bear witness to personal narratives. Growing up during the Thatcher era on a council housing estate where poverty was rife, I was not considered college material and left school with no qualifications. It wasn't until I had children of my own that I returned to education and got my teaching degree.' I have since worked as a college and university lecturer in the UK and taught middle school children, teens, and elders in the USA. My first foray into writing came when I won a competition in 1999 for a short television drama. The film Kissing Bubba was based upon a visit to my Russian immigrant grandmother. It was commissioned by Anglia TV and the BBC and aired on regional television and in various film festivals. In 2002, I moved to Los Angeles, where I gained my MFA in creative nonfiction at the University of California, Riverside. Upon graduating, I completed an internship in mental health psychosocial rehabilitation, working at Dee Dee Hirsch Mental Health Services in Los Angeles, using memoir as a tool to aid self-expression and recovery. My work has appeared in The Guardian UK, The New York Times, The Washington Post, KCRW Unfictional, KCET Departures, Sinister Wisdom, and other literary journals. I am the recipient of the Marsha McQuern Award for Creative Nonfiction and a 2012 alumni of Squaw Valley Community of Writers. In 2017 I volunteered as an advocate at Psychosis Summit South Bay Project Resource where I interviewed peers and family members with lived experience of psychosis. As a nature lover I trained as a docent at Ano Nuevo Elephant Seal Sanctuary which by the way she talks about in the book. I currently live in London. Anyway that was all first person Tanya Frank's bio and here is our really personal and emotional episode Welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much for coming on. Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Zigzag Boy, a memoir of madness and motherhood.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Oh my gosh, Tanya, your story. I I feel like I felt it in my bones every moment of the story, the way you talk about your son, Zach, and how it just like you compared like everything was like. Normal for so long, and then it just completely veered off. And the way you wrote about it, I read all sorts of memoirs about motherhood. I just, I read a lot of books like this because I love this kind of story. But this book, like, you took us through those early moments in such detail, and then tracked the whole story. But like, I feel like as a mother, this is happening to my own child. The way you write about it, and I feel all the emotions that it evokes in me. Anyway, it was so powerful. So, thank you for writing it
1: as a book. And I'm, oh my gosh. that's really good feedback. That's good to know because obviously it hasn't gone out to the world yet. So, you know, it's just a, a select few that have been able to read it. So. Oh my gosh. Really, well, really important. I'm honored yeah. to read it.
0: <laughs> so why don't you just summarize the premise of this book, now that I've raved about it, but (laughs) make it more coherent.
1: (laughs) Sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, it was a very long time in the making, this book. It probably was maybe around 10 years, actually. It's been quite a journey. My son had his first psychotic break, as it would be called in the kind of within the medical model at the age of 19, and up until then he's my youngest son he was a little bit more protected i guess my baby he was always a bit small for his age and very shy and scholarly and uh, we nicknamed him golden boy because he was just good at so many things and he had a lot of ambition he knew what he wanted to do where he wanted to go and the neighbors everybody just loved him really and he was kind of on track he had a, a merit scholarship at UCLA and he was very very studious but then around the age of 19 he started withdrawing quite a bit he seemed somewhat troubled and he was smoking a lot of marijuana and um i was brought up you know in quite a permissive kind of household and I wasn't really an overly strict parent and I thought well this is just what high school kids do and my partner told me about this thing in America we were living in Los Angeles we'd moved out there about 5 years before this kind of experience started and my partner said this is called senioritis in America and you know don't don't be too worried he's just got a lot on and I think like most mothers I think there's this sense of protection where your mind doesn't want to go to a place that feels so challenging and so unfamiliar. So I think it did strike me as something quite out of the blue, what happened with Zach. And also because I was very unfamiliar with psychosis or altered states, as I think many of us are, I took him to the hospital because I didn't really know what else to do. And he was started on antipsychotics. And I think that although there are many people who claim that these drugs and the hospital can save their lives, so I don't want to advocate completely against such things. But in our experience, it actually added a layer of trauma and complexity that really set us off on a path that I think, in retrospect, was much more difficult than maybe if I'd been able to look at some alternatives, which I did later on. The book charts a 10-year period, a decade, during which time there are times where Zach is doing better. My youngest son, his name is Zach, which is why the book is called Zigzag Boy, because I called him Ziggy. We called him Ziggy or Zigzag as a, a kind of pet name. And there are times where he does seem to stabilize and function and go back to university and have a girlfriend and I feel like okay this is all behind us now and I move up to Northern California with my wife and um, I try to kind of forge my own life because I think that I had become quite enmeshed and quite traumatized myself by the experience so I became a docent on an elephant seal colony called Anya Nuevo. And so a lot of the book is set against the backdrop of the elephant colony, which I think gives us a reprieve. But I think also it's really a metaphor for, you know, the mystery of these marine mammals and the mystery of psychosis and the way that elephant seals have to let go at some point and the way. I felt I had to let go at certain points as well. The book isn't an especially happy ending. It's not a Hollywood kind of, you know, happy ever after resolution. And this situation is still ongoing with my son. And I think that's a little different from some narratives that I've read around addiction and mental health, which I think was a little bit of a struggle at times for the editors, especially in America. The book comes out in England as well, which is where I'm based now. And halfway through the book, we return to England and then we see how the system here is quite broken as well. And we're in the midst of a pandemic. So it's an ambitious book. I think it takes us through a lot of times and places and moments of pondering and a lot of questions and not necessarily everything answered.
0: I could listen to you talk forever. I, I think I just want to ask you like one or two more questions. And have you go on? Sure. Oh my gosh, you're so articulate. And the way you talk is reflected in the book and the way that you write. You know, your writing is also measured and thoughtful and beautiful. And, you know, there, there are two pieces of this. One is your story itself. And one is the fact that you turned it into a beautiful book as well. And what you did to turn it into a book. But first with the story, I mean... When Zach had his first psychotic break and you take him to the hospital, you describe in such detail driving back home and being like, what am I supposed to do? Walk around Westwood right now? Like, And and just like going in and waiting and your partner was so amazing and took off work and the two of you just like were waiting and and bracing yourselves. And I feel like as the reader going through this, were there with you and wondering and just like your, your search also for why this has happened and all of the, what was it like in pregnancy? Was it something in utero? Was it your fault essentially is the through line? Like, did I do something wrong 19 years ago that has somehow caused this? Or even the suggestion that it, it was some of the THC-laced marijuana that he had at some point that could have caused psychosis and your struggle to sort of understand where it came from. Not that it ultimately matters, but I feel like that is so human of us to like have to find a cause. So Where do you
1: stand even on that? Like, how have you come to terms with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there are times where I still look back and think, was it this moment that was the catalyst for what happened? Would it have been different if we had stayed in England and not made that move to America? Because it was a very sensitive time in Zach's life and his development, and it was really hard for him to adjust and I know because in the years after Zach's break I spent a lot of time trying to research you know just looking poring over statistics what could have caused this what could have contributed and you know there are definitely some studies that have been done to say that immigrants are a little more predisposed because just being unsettled in something so new and unfamiliar and not knowing the systems. And there was a period of time where it was just very uncomfortable for Zach to be in this new land and to have lost his family and his network and his friends. So there are certain times that I do go back to and wonder. But I think also I've realised that I do have to come to some kind of acceptance that I can't change and that regret is its really, um, I think it takes up a lot of energy and I think it stops me from being an advocate, which is really important. I want to do advocacy as well as be an artist. So I've tried to come to some kind of acceptance and I also feel really strongly that trauma and epigenetics are also a big part of why so many people experience psychosis and hear voices and it's not really you know I think we're led to believe that it's a disease it's a broken brain it can be cured with pills a quick fix like a lot of other things in western society that we you know expect to be able to do and I think I've learned that Actually, if you dig a little more deeply and look a bit more carefully, most, you know, I think probably a very few number of people actually recover in inverted commas through drugs. And the, the side effects can be really powerful and really debilitating. And quite often it's a process. And if people are allowed to be in that process and we're brave enough and safe enough to be with them and to listen it can actually be something and even the hearing voices people can talk about this process as quite a spiritual endeavor rather than you know I think in our society we really do medicalize life events and our response to life events in a very different way to some other places and some other times.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all. Maybe A month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, dot com slash moms don't have time. So you feel that so trauma can cause the break.
1: I think trauma. I think for Zach, I, I think marijuana could also precipitate some of, you know, I think you can be a little predisposed. I think just as you have maybe heart disease or cancer or diabetes in the family, I think that you're epigenetic. So what is carried down through the generations, which I didn't realize until I started digging around and I realised that a lot of my forebears had died in concentration camps and my grandmother had actually been incarcerated in a mental hospital for many years of her adult life. And so I thought, oh, that must be genetic then. There must be something genetic. My grandmother was like this and this is why my son. And if I find the right pill and if I find the right doctor and if I find out what was wrong with her, then I'll be able to cure my son. But actually, what I do think is that trauma, and there have been a lot of studies, and they are quite complex, but there have been studies done to show that our genes, you know, this kind of trauma can attach to the genes and be expressed later on. So there's a greater sensitivity. So something might happen to Zach, that happened to his brother, but just because his brother didn't express it in the same way doesn't necessarily mean that it's a congenital or genetic defect. It can just be the, you know, what is actually how it's expressed epigenetically. Do you know any more details about the concentration camps? And I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I know that my grandmother on my father's side, so my paternal grandmother, she lost most of her family as a young. She lost her sister very young in a tobogganing accident. And so it was said that she was a little strange after that. That was sort of like the urban kind of myth that, you know, the kind of, thing that was carried down through the generations that after Tilly lost her sister, she was a little strange after that, which I think was probably trauma Mm. induced. And then she lost her father very young and her mother, but she had one brother remaining and he was really beloved and really precious to her possibly because he was all she had left. And when she left, she left Austria Uh, No, she left Czechoslovakia, she left Prague just at the outset of the Second World War to come to England with my grandfather because he was British and they were one of the last out and she said to her brother, I will get you out no matter what, I'll bring you here, I'll see you again And the war happened and he wasn't able to come here. And at the end of the war, she discovered that he, you know, it took a long time to discover because there was so much displacement and so many missing people. But eventually she found out that he was killed at Auschwitz. And I think she was so bereft and so broken. And maybe nowadays she may have been able to have some therapies and counselling or something to support that process but at the time she unraveled with grief it was a madness that and she was sent to the hospital and she remained there and it was a secret that everybody thought she had died I grew up thinking that not knowing this story and I actually uncovered it in the process of writing the book um it's not in zigzag boy this story but it's something that i want to work on for my next book to look a little more deeply at my female ancestors and who they were and what happened to them and i think that might be my next um endeavor
0: it definitely should. I was, I was literally as you we were talking. I was like, did I miss that somehow? Where was yeah. that? I know. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I feel like that's something I would totally remember. Yeah, that was cut out. My yeah. gosh,
1: what a story! Wow, poor Tilly. What about on your other side? So, on my mother's side, my mother was an orphan. Actually, she was in a Jewish orphanage. So, I think it was again a lot of trauma in her upbringing. Also, not really knowing what it was to be part of a traditional family you know to to parent to mother in a way that was kind of secure and safe and so she held on very tightly to us as we were growing up but in some quite unhealthy ways I think because of being an orphan and being in an orphanage and so I think that you know in turn my parenting I've asked myself a lot of questions about you know, did I hold on too tightly? Am I still holding on tightly? And I think that it's interesting because there's that whole sort of movement about if you're part of 12 Step or, you know, in Al-Anon or AA about being dependent and codependent um, and letting go. But I think that when somebody has psychosis and they're extremely vulnerable, and also I'm sure, you know, even if they don't have psychosis, if they're, vulnerable in other ways from substance misuse or alcoholism. I think it's very difficult. Like There was a time where Zach was homeless and uh, I was forced to let go. I was forced that to. That was so
0: awful. When you said yeah. how, when he said how it's okay, like people gave me food and water and you were like, yeah. I, you were just like so grateful to the strangers in LA who looked yeah. after your son at his darkest yeah. time. Oh my gosh, it made me want to cry. I mean, it's just... <laughs> you know, and when you found him with like his eyes sunken in and he, he, he was confused and you were like, why didn't you come home? He's like, no, I thought you sold the house. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyway,
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I think it's a process. I think letting go of somebody who's vulnerable, no matter what age they are, especially if they're still your child, I think it's a process that will take me forever really. And some days I'm better at it and some days I'm not, but I'm excited about the book coming out and just how it will land and where it will land. And I've been quite busy and I've had a lot of great publicity, so I'm I'm really thankful for that. And I'm thankful to be with you as well. Oh my gosh, how did it feel writing the book for you? Like were you were you crying at times? Like <laughs> what, what what was this like yeah. for you emotionally? I think it changed depending on which sections and where I was in my life because it was written over quite a long period and the pandemic when the pandemic hit I actually had to take a little bit of time out of the writing because I was really surviving at that time with my son so it felt too hard to live through that and write through it it felt too close and too raw It's interesting, I recorded the book recently, the audio version, and that felt really exhausting emotionally to actually read it out loud and relive it all in the space of three days. The actual writing, I think a lot of sort of craft elements came in where I was thinking, you know, what works on a writerly level, on a level of structure, and with the editing as well, I think it was a lot about craft. So it allowed me to push some of those emotions to one side a little bit. But yeah, there are definite there have been times since where I'm like, wow, gosh, that's I hope that's not too dark for people. So I think that's why the Elephant Seal Sanctuary is a little bit of lightness as well and takes away from the you know, the the more kind of devastating elements of what my son went through and what I witnessed. So I hope there's a sort of measure of being able to take a breath in those moments. And when you discussed,
0: you know, you've touched on this already, but the effects of some of the drugs and the car accident with the Adderall and you know, just like, like all the different doctors and all the different diagnoses and all the different attempts. Like it's hard to not come away from this book and feel a little bit, not hopeless that sounds terrible but a little less confident in our collective ability to treat mental illness especially this type how do you feel about it now
1: I think it is relentless I think that there is a sort of relentlessness to it in the book and also in my life like I'm you know 13 14 years on now my son is still struggling and the medicine has actually well I I don't even like to call it medicine because I don't think it has made him better I think it's made him worse in a lot of ways so I would say drugs have caused a lot of physical quite debilitating sort of physical yeah so there's a lot of tremors like parkinsonian tremors that can occur after long time use or very high dosages of antipsychotics and there are medicines that are used to counter the effects but then you get into a place where you're you know some people are on four five six a whole cocktail of drugs and it's hard then to see what is working and what isn't and how they interact some of the difficulties that are caused through those interactions and coming off of those drugs even if they don't work and if they're not hugely effective. Coming off can be a really hard process because the body and the brain become so dependent, the withdrawal can create some rebound psychosis, which is worse oh. than the original. So oh. it is hard. It is, it's definitely hard. I think the thing that has really helped me and that still helps me are the other mothers in a group that I currently belong to and also mothers in a group that I belong to in America that they just become family instantly and I can reach out to them and they can reach out to me and I think not walking that journey alone is what's really allowed me to survive it I think. Oh my gosh yeah. and where is
0: Zach? are you do you see him? like are you in the same place now and yeah. like what is your how often yeah. are you I mean, how can you not be enmeshed, like, have I know. a child in
1: distress in any way? What are you supposed to do? Just like walk off into the sunset, you know? I know, absolutely. I see Zach about twice a week now. He's in a rehabilitation unit about 30 miles away. I'm working quite hard to try to get him out into the community because I feel that he's quite institutionalized and... The laws, the mental health laws are very archaic and very bureaucratic and quite complex. And so I think at some point when you've been in the system for a long time, the person themselves is often loses their voice and loses their confidence and loses their will to live even. And the family who know them best and who want to advocate are often you know, seen as a little interfering or difficult and so i think that consultants and a treating team i think it's kind of sometimes easier for them to get on and to treat within this medical model and not be open to looking at it in other ways and i'm not saying that every hospital and every nurse or doctor follows that paradigm but it's definitely something that i've seen A lot of and and something that the groups that I'm working with are trying to fight against to look at alternatives because there are alternatives in places like Scandinavia and a part of Italy where psychiatric hospitals locked units don't exist and drugs are not forced so this whole coercive kind of measure of psychiatry is not as prominent and people are doing much better with these kinds of alternatives because I think they need to be listened to I think people like Zach if they can restore their sense of having a voice and having some autonomy I think that's the essence of being human really even if you hear voices especially maybe if you hear voices to be able to look at the meaning behind all of that rather than see it as as disease
0: Tanya, I'm, I'm so moved by your story. I'm so moved by your bravery, your (laughs) strength, your ability to share with us, your complete like prowess and beauty as a writer. I I just, you're amazing. And, um, (laughs) I'm, I really am. I, you know, whenever you talk, I'm imagining my own children in this situation and it, it just like, what would I, you know, as every parent listening to this or reading this book will think, what would I do? What, you know, how could I help? Like what, it's just amazing. You're you. amazing. And you know, Zach is so lucky to have you and you're lucky to have him, you know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anyway, I really, really, I really, you all, that. <laughs> I really wish you all the best with the book. It's, and and, and with your life and yeah, it's just really moving.
1: thank you so appreciative and yeah it's definitely there are times that it does feel quite vulnerable and and quite exposed of course it's going to but I feel driven I feel like it's too crucial not to get the story out there wow thank you okay
0: (laughs) making me cry (laughs) okay all right have a great day see you bye-bye